You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, East Point Church. How are you guys? It is good to be with you. Welcome. I'm glad that you're here. My name is Sam. I get to serve as the lead pastor of East Point Church, and we are absolutely thrilled uh, that you have chose to spend your Sunday with us, because this is what we get to do. We get to come together as the family of Jesus, and, uh, and we remember every week what he has done for us and who he is. So I'm glad that you're there uh, and here. Go ahead and open up your Bibles. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Philippians. If you're using one of our gift Bibles that we've gifted to you, the blue and white ones, we're on page 980, right on the dot. And so as you guys turn there in your Bibles, I have a question for you. I'm just curious because I want to know. How many of you grew up having rules at the dinner table? Okay, all right, yeah, a lot of, wow, more than I thought, okay. Uh, how many of you still have rules at the dinner table, right? Yeah, not me. I'm like, yo, your boy's swinging this in the opposite direction of the pendulum, right? I'm like, anarchy at the dinner table. No, no, no. Most of us have rules at the dinner table. There is an appropriate way to conduct yourself at the table. And so not only do you have rules, where to place the cups, what side the forks go on, right? We all, do we all stand until everybody's there? Do we sit? We don't eat until your father gets home? Like, what, what are the rules, right? But even beyond the rules, there is what I call etiquette, right? There are certain behaviors that are appropriate, and there are certain behaviors that are not appropriate. I got three little boys at home. We're working on this right now, okay? This is Cassis Family 101. There are not only certain behaviors, there are certain types of conversation, my boys are failing to grasp this. There are certain languages, certain words, certain topics of conversation that are appropriate elsewhere, but not at the dinner table. See the appendix for potty language, okay, and potty talk. And so, I, you know, I'll give you an example. When I was growing up, uh, my mom is Puerto Rican. My dad is Italian. That made for some powerful, powerful moments at the dinner table, you know. Thank you. Made for some powerful moments at the dinner table. And so, you know, in, in, a fa- in a Puerto Rican family, here's the thing. In a Puerto Rican if you're not interrupting each other, you're not interested. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, like, people are talking, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, and, just, and you're just talking, and it's, it's loud, and there's this escalation. And the funny thing is, when you grow up, you don't realize that everything doesn't operate like it does at your house. Right? And so the first time I had a friend come over in high school, and they experienced dinner in my family. Right? And we were, we're eating dinner. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Ha, ha. And it's just, just lost. You know, and then we go up to my room afterwards. We're playing video games. And guy's like, your family's angry. <laughs> They're angry people. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They were just screaming at each other. Why are they so angry? I'm like, we weren't screaming. We were communicating with passion. You know, it's just, that's what it is. Fast forward to the year 2011. And Jordan Owens, this cute girl at college, she brings a boy home for Thanksgiving. I'm the boy. Okay? And she brings home this guy for Thanksgiving, and it was like being in the Twilight Zone. You know what I mean? I'm coming from the Puerto Rican, everybody's loud. They sit down, they all stand behind their chairs until everybody's at the table. And then they pull out their chairs, and then they sit down, and then they sing, you know, 
right? Like, literally, I'm like, they're singing songs before dinner. And I'm like, this is not like my table. You see, friends, all of us have table manners. All of you have different ways that you operate and interact at the dinner table. And so to this morning, today, I'm going to introduce you to a table. This morning, I am going to introduce a very special, sacred table that we hold very dearly here at East Point Church. And as I introduce you to this table, friends, I want you to know that there are table manners. There are certain behaviors. There are certain topics of conversation. There is a way that the people at this table right here interact, and it is right. There are certain ways that sometimes we're tempted to interact and it's wrong. And so as I introduce you to this table, I want you guys to get ready because you're going to leave here this morning knowing table manners. Are you ready? And we find it right here, Philippians chapter 1. We're continuing our journey in verse 3. If you're with me, say, oh yeah. All right, let's do this. Philippians 1 starting in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That's our passage this morning. And so here's what we do. We're going to go right back to the beginning, and we're going to break it down little by little, okay? Look how Paul begins. He begins today by describing his prayer life. His prayer life. How do you pray? What does it look like? What, like, what do you actually say? What do you do when you pray? Where do you go? Like, is there a space that you've designated? Do you have, like, notes? Like, what does your prayer life look like? And so for me, uh, I pray in a few different ways. Sometimes I like to pray the Lord's Prayer as a pattern. Our Father who art in heaven. Pause. God, you're in heaven. I'm not. You're big. You have a vantage point that I don't have. And I'll just pray that. And then I'll move on to the next part of the pattern. Uh, my, probably my favorite way to pray is I just grab a passage of scripture and I just interact with that. So God is talking to me. He says, I thank my God in all my arms. God, I thank you. I'm filled with thanks. And I just, I pray what's in the verses. Uh, another way I pray commonly is uh, I'll be driving to work and I do the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. And so I practice adoration. I just remind myself, God, you're so good. C, confession, I'm not good, right? And I tell him where I've come short, I just come clean. T, thanksgiving, I practice cultivating a heart of gratitude. And then S, supplication. God, here's what I need. I need help, right? So however you pray, whatever pattern, however you particularly enjoy praying, here's what I want you to notice. When Paul describes his prayer life, he does something important. When he comes before God, he doesn't only pray for himself. When he comes into the presence of God, he says here that he remembers others. He is remembering the Philippians. He is mentioning them to God in his prayers. He's not just praying, God, I, for myself, for my situation, for my needs. He says, no, Philippians, I am praying for you all. And so here's the first point, church. When we pray, we should remember others. 
When you pray, you should remember others. This is a staple. This is an important part of our prayer lives, that when we come into God's presence, we should remember other people. It's almost like, God, while I'm here, right? Like, God, while I have you here, I just want to bring up my brother. This is what he's going through, and I just want to make you aware of that, and and just please help him. I, I need to mention, I need to remember others as I talk to you. Amen. Imagine you have a friend, and uh, this is a cool friend. Like, he's so cool that he actually is on, like, speaking terms with a king. Right? He has coffee with the king, you know, every Wednesday. And maybe he plays cribbage, so it's called coffee with the king over cribbage. It's just really cool. And, and so he's there, and they're nursing their, their coffee, and, and he gets to the end, and, and, you know, they're playing. And he goes, hey, king, before I go, I, I just want to bring something to your royal attention. I want to make the throne aware of a situation. I have my, my buddy Stephen, and Stephen is going through this, and man, his family, and he just, and I just want to make you aware of that. I want the king, I want the throne, I want the kingdom to be aware of what's going on in his life. You got that? And then he comes back to you, he goes, hey, buddy, Stephen, uh, I had coffee with the king, it was awesome, he cribbed me, but whatever, and while I was there, I just want you to know, I mentioned you. You did? Yeah, I mentioned, I remembered you, I, I brought your situation, he's aware of it now, and he's on it. Just want you to know that. Oh, how would you feel? How would you feel the king is aware of your situation? The king knows what you're going through. You see, friends, when we come to God, we pray, we remember, we pray on behalf of others. This is called Intercession. So if you've ever heard that word, it's not just a churchy word, intercession. We are praying on behalf of others. And so friends, I want you to pray. Let's be a church that prays. But as you do, who do you remember? Who do you mention to God? Parents, are you praying for your children? Do you remember them when you come before the Father? Do you pray for your spouses? Do you pray for your family members? Do you pray for your community group? Do you remember those in the presence of God who you're praying that they come to know Jesus? God, save them by your grace. When we pray, we remember others. And so I guess a free follow-up question would be, how are you going to remember to remember others, right? We are not so spiritual that we can't use lists, okay? When I come into the presence of God, I just ooze all of the prayer requests, and God just prays through me. No, no, I have index cards. (laughs) I use notes on my phone. I have a, a laminated piece of paper on my desk, right? Like, how are you going to remember to remember others? Because we need, when we pray, we should remember others. I remember when I was little, when I was growing up in the church, I I just started to assume, wrongly, I started to assume that prayer is what you offered when you couldn't offer tangible assistance. Ah, I wish I could help, but um, last resort, I'll throw up a prayer. As if prayer was just a token, as if prayer was just a kind word. Friends, prayer actually helps. Prayer actually does things. Look what Paul says. We'll get here in a couple of weeks. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So the Spirit works in tandem with the prayers of God to do God's will, with the prayers of God's people to do his will. God loves to accomplish his will in response to the prayers of his people. So let's pray. And when we pray, we remember others.
And so that's what Paul is doing, right? He's praying for the Philippians. He's remembering them before God. And every time he prays, every time he remembers them and mentions them, he is filled with a sense of thanksgiving. He's filled, he's moved to this point of joy. Like he's in his prayer room, right? Or actually, he's in a cell. We'll get here. But he's on his knees and he's praying. And when he thinks of the Philippians, he doesn't go, he doesn't get frustrated. These are not the kind of people that when he thinks of it, brings him anxiety or sorrow or stress. These are the kind of people that when he thinks of them, he goes, oh, oh yes. Thank you, God, for those people. I love, and he, and he just thanks God. There's a joy. Do you have people like that? Like even right now, right now, I see it. Like you're, you're thinking, I'm talking, and you're going, and you're thinking of that brother. You're thinking of that sister. You're thinking of that friend that you go, oh, I'm so thankful for them. That's what Paul is feeling here. Thank you for these people. Now, context. Paul's in prison. He's in a cell. There are chains on his ankles and probably on his wrists. His potty is probably three feet away from him in a cup. What is it about these Philippians that is allowing him to pray with a smile right now? Like, what is it about these people that is bringing our prisoner joy? What, what is it about these people that is causing our captive to overflow with thanksgiving? Why does he feel this way about them? Look what he says. He answers our question in the next part. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Friends, our second point is this. In Christ, we are partners, not purchasers. In Christ, we're partners, not purchasers. Paul, he's thinking of these people and he's filled with joy and gratitude because he knows that they have not simply purchased something from him when he passed through their town. He wasn't just like the, 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 the tinker who's coming through and he's offering religious goods and services and he just so happened to have a really good selling day when he went through Philippi. No, 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 these are not purchasers. He says here, I'm grateful for your partnership. I'm grateful that you are a fellow partaker with me. Now, I don't do this often, but sometimes I like to just double-click on an English word, and I'm going to introduce, I'm going to show you what the Greek word is here, the original language, because, just like in Spanish, any Spanish speakers? See? Si? No. Okay, me neither, right? But in a different language, you can use different English words to translate one Spanish word, or one French word, or one Mandarin word. And so we're going to see this word all throughout the book of Philippians. And, but you may not even notice it's the same word because we use different English words. And so this word, partnership, is koinonia. We should like start an app where I just speak Greek words to you and help you fall asleep. You know what I mean? Koinonia. And it's just my pastor puts me to bed every night. It's awesome. Here's what koinonia means, friends. When you see this word, it means the sharing and the partaking of something together. It is the, the sharing, the mutual partaking of doing something together. So sometimes in English, we'll use the word fellowship. I thought that meant lunch after church growing up. Like, oh, we're going to go do fellowship, right? Can we go to the buffet, Ma? Come on, you know? Fellowship, but it's so much more than food. It's, it's this partaking of something. It's, it's a, we use words like partnership. 
sharing, partaking. This is a mutual participation and a shared experience. So when we hear about gospel koinonia, gospel partnership, the thing that we are partaking in together, the thing that we are mutually participating in is the gospel and the life that flows out of that gospel. It is the common pursuit that we want more of Jesus. Friends, that's what our faith is. That's what this Christian life is. It is us, and we are in this together. We're not purchasers. We're partners. So let me illustrate it for you, okay? This is a safe place. So I'm going to tell you, your boy loves Chick-fil-A. Anybody out there with me? Come on. I'm going for, oh, oh man, it's Sunday. Isn't that the worst? Always think of Chick-fil-A on a Sunday. This is painful, man. But here's the thing. You go to Chick-fil-A. I walk in there. I'm not interested in a relationship with the guy behind the counter. You know what I'm saying? They try to get you like, oh, my pleasure. I'm so glad you're here. You're family. I'm not family. You have my nuggets. I need them now. This is transactional. You have something that I want. No, no. You have something that I need. And we're going to do business. Okay? Now, that's the Chick-fil-A experience. I want you to imagine I invite you over to my house for dinner. Okay? Imagine you show up to my doorbell. You, you, the door, you ring the doorbell, and I open up and say, hey, come on in for dinner. You go, no, no, that's okay. I'll have three tacos, a side of rice, and let me get some of that bubbly water you got. Excuse me? What? No, when you come to my house, it's not to purchase something. You're coming to partake. You're coming because I want you to sit at my table and to have a shared experience where I'm eating the rice, and then I pass you the same bowl, and you serve your rice out of there, right? Different utensil. No double dipping, especially in the sour cream, okay? But it's like, we're here, and I got the, and I passed the rice, and you passed the meat, and hey, passed the tortillas, and we got the crema and the salsa. You know what I had for dinner last night, right? And, and we're here in it together, mutual participation. This is a koinonia experience. It's a shared meal. This is what Christianity is like. That is what God intends his family to be like. And so Paul, he understands that the Philippians, they didn't simply purchase something from him. They didn't simply say, hey, can I have a little bit of encouragement with a side of the gospel and maybe give me a little bit morality and, good, and some can-doism while you're there. No, no, no. He says, from the very first day, from the moment that I stepped into town, from the first time you brought me into your home, we are partners. From the very first moment, we have been experiencing this common faith. We have been prioritizing our pursuit of Jesus together. Not in a food, not in Chick-fil-A, not in salsa, in the gospel. They're in it with him. They're together with Paul as partners, not purchasers. Friends, this understanding of our faith, this is so core to who we are at East Point Church. We have it in our mission statement. Look what we exist for. To glorify God as a gospel community. As a gospel koinonia that is growing in faith and reaching the world. Friends, we want you to grow in your faith. We want you to be more like Jesus. We pray for that every week. We want you to reach the world. We want you to be mobilized to go and to reach the people that God has put in your life. Yes, we want that as a gospel community. We do it together. We are partners partaking and feasting on this common experience of the gospel life. You're not here to just obtain a sermon, to purchase a sermon from a preacher. 
You're not here for some religious goods and services on your Sunday afternoon. When you turn to follow Jesus, he is making you a part of this shared experience and of the family. So what is it that we're actually experiencing here? What, like what is, the, in real terms, like what is it that we're actually participating in? Friends, we're participating in the shared experience of forgiveness. My sins are covered. He doesn't hold them against me. We, we share that in common. We're participating in the same Holy Spirit that fills you and it fills me. Man, we have the Spirit together. We're experiencing this new community. We're experiencing the new purpose. We're experiencing the fact that God is raising in us holy desires. We're participating and we're sharing in the highs together. But we're also sharing in the lows. We're sharing, we're, we're eating the bread of suffering together. We're bearing up one another's burdens. We're experiencing what it's like all so often to go two steps forward, one step back. But we're in it together. We're in it together. This is what God has designed that we participate, not as purchasers, but as partners, as fellow partakers in the gospel life. So here at East Point, friends, we're, East Point or anywhere, I guess I could say, right? There are so many Christians, and I say this sadly, so many Christians, many of you in this room, you have gone your whole Christian life, and you've never moved beyond anonymous church attender. All right? You're like, you don't know me. I know, because you're anonymous. That's the point, right? You've never moved beyond anonymous church attender. And here's what I want to tell you, friends. If that's you you have yet to taste what God is fully offering in Christ, okay? God is not just heating up an individual microwave meal for you. When he saves you, he's bringing you into a family to participate at the family table. And so come partake. Christianity is not meant to be a religious service. I come in the back, I check the box for the week, and I leave. No, no, this is not a place you attend. This is not an event you go to. This is not a weekly newsletter you subscribe to. It's a community. Are you here? Are you partaking with the family? Here at East Point, we're not inviting you to buy what we're selling. We're inviting you to share with us what we're having. And it's the gospel. It's the gospel. And so Paul is here, he's filled with joy as he thinks about the other people sitting at the table. He's filled with thanksgiving. And you know what else he feels about these people? He feels confident. Look what he says. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He is sure. He is confident. Some of your translations in the NIV, he is confident that God is going to continue working in the lives of the people at this table. Here's what you have to understand, right? Paul knows this. The Philippians, they did not come to be at this table on their own. Friend, you and me, we didn't wake up one day and say, you know, I think I want to find God today. I think I'm going to like go make myself a spot at the table. I think I'm going to go convince him to you know, make room for me. I just, I'm going to go like... I'm just going to get some God in my life. No, 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 friend. That is not true. God is the initiator. God is the pursuer. And before you even had a single thought of hope to say, God, maybe I need God, he was pursuing you. Look what he says. He says, he began a good work. 
He began this. He initiated. He pursued you and brought you to the table. And so here's the point. If God so decisively and intentionally worked in your life to bring you at the table, and he's still working in your life, I mean, you're here, right? Then we can say with the utmost confidence that he will continue to work. The same God who worked on day one is going to be working till the last day. I am sure of this. I am sure of this. I love the way that Paul and, and the whole Bible, it talks about God's work. So sometimes, sometimes the Bible talks about God's work in past tense, right? On the first day, right, the day that you were saved, you were baptized. Remember back then, you turned to Jesus from your sins, past tense, you were saved. But then there's other spots in the Bible where where it describes it in the present tense. You are being saved, right? You are growing in faith. You're being saved from your sin. You're becoming like Jesus, present tense, And then there's other times where he reminds us, your salvation is in the future. You will be saved decisively. On the day that Jesus comes back, you will be saved when God makes his decisive verdict against evil. You're going to be saved from that verdict. When a just God comes and he rights all of the wrongs, thank you, Lord, you will be saved from the things that you deserve. God is at work in your life, past, present, and future. And so, Paul, he knows that he who was working on the first day, he will continue to be working until the end. He says, I'm sure of this. And so let me talk to you, friends. Have you ever felt discouraged about where you were in your faith? Have you ever felt or thought to yourself, I should be further along by now? All right. You can't feel that. You're a pastor. I'm like, Somebody lied to you, friend. No, I mean, that is a normal Christian experience. Have you ever felt like you've gone backwards in your sanctification, right? You're like, man, I'm still this frustrated and angry by my children? I still am this irritable with my spouse? I still struggle with being kind? Friends, here's the encouragement to you wherever you are. God is at work in your life. He was on that first day, which means he's still at work, and he will continue to be at work. Here's what I want you to know. This life of growing in our faith, this is not a process of self-improvement that depends on your abilities. Thank God. This is not a process of self-improvement that depends on your abilities. The one who is working in you is God. It's God. Your salvation is in his hands. Your sanctification is in his hands. And so we work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who works in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I'm sure of this. Let's continue. Paul, he says that the Philippians, they're partners, right? They're sitting at the table as fellow partakers. And so we already know that that brings him joy. We already know that he's filled with gratitude. We already know that he's confident. Look at the final thing he says. The final feeling that he has for these people. He says this. It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Friends, the last thing I want you to know today, number three, partnership produces affection. 
Partnership produces affection. This guy's in prison. He's in chains. He is engaged in a daily battle of defending and confirming the truth and the veracity of his gospel claims. Every day is a new adventure. Every day could cost him his life as he strives to do what he feels Jesus has called him to do. That's real life. Okay, that's his life. But notice what comforts him. What is it that warms his heart in those cold and dark moments? What thought brightens the outlook of our prisoner? He says this, he goes, I hold you in my heart. I hold you in my heart. He remembers with great affection and appreciation that even in the darkest of moments, he remembers, I am not alone. That's his source. I am not alone. He looks around at the table and he realizes that there are other partakers. And he guesses on what that Greek word is. Koinonia. That's right. Same word. There are other koinonians, right? Other people experiencing the koinonia. He looks around the table and he knows that they're with him. That they're experiencing the same things that he's experiencing. These are the Philippians who while he's in prison, they're sending letters to him. They're sending messengers to him. They are sending money to him. They're communicating with him in such a way that says, Paul, we are with you in spirit. We are with you in mind. You are not in this alone. We are thinking of you, Paul. We're in this together. Why? Because we're not purchasers. We are partners. He's not alone. Friends, living for Jesus often has trouble and adversity. I know you bought the book that said that if you live for Jesus right now, plus give $9.99 a month, that you'll never struggle again. That's a lie. Jesus said, you will have trouble. But there's hope, right? He said, like, we know that in the end, all of our trouble will be washed away. There'll be no more tears. We know that the hope will come. We also have a lot of solace knowing that even now in our trouble, it's not wasted. We have the hope of knowing that every difficulty, every piece of adversity, everything that the enemy even intended for evil, God takes those things and flips them and he leverages them and say, I'm actually going to use this for your good. So we have hope in adversity. We have hope in the difficult circumstances. But we also have tangible expressions, physical demonstrations of his nearness and of his comfort. We have tangible things that we can touch. We, we have an, a visual aid who can demonstrate to us that God is with us in our adversity. Do you know what that is? Fellow Christians. We have people who can be partakers with us, who are sitting with us at the table, side by side. These are the people at the table that when you're going through it and you are deep in it, they can hit you with this look of just, yep, I see it, I know. I'm right there with you. I get it. I empathize with you. I'm, I'm in it too, man. We're, we're in this together. There is tremendous hope. There is tremendous comfort from knowing that you are in it together. So just like Paul, friends, East Point Church, you can look around at this gospel life and be encouraged. You're not the only one at the table. You're not the only one experiencing that in your marriage. 
You're not the only one struggling in your sanctification. You're not the only one asking those questions. You're not the only one to be scared to stand up for Jesus at work. You're not the only one who's scared what people might think of you at school if they knew. You're not the only one who's tempted to live a double life. You're not the only one experiencing these normal par-for-the-course experiences of following Jesus. And the enemy wants you to think that you're alone. The enemy wants you to think that you're the only one. And if the other people at this table knew, they would kick you out. And Paul powerfully is reminding us here, no, 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 don't fall for that lie. There's partnership. There's partakers here. This is exactly how God designed it. He's not saving a collection of individuals. He's building a family, and he invites you to come and sit. You're not alone. And this relationship, that special relationship is so valuable. It is so appreciated that Paul says he yearns for the people at his table. He yearns. Like, what do you yearn for besides Chick-fil-A, right? Like, he yearns. He craves. He feels it right here in the pit of his soul. I want to be with them. He yearns for them. His love for them is so great that he compares it to the love that Jesus has for them. He says, I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Do you know that Jesus has affection for you? Well, I know. The Bible tells me Jesus loves me. No, no, no. Listen, listen, listen. When God says that he loves you, when Jesus says that he loves you, he's not talking in just a generic sense. Well, you know, I I love all my human beings down there. No, no, he loves Lindsay. He loves Tamara. He loves Billy. He loves Leanne. He loves you. Jesus himself, he is filled with, he's radiating warmth and affection for you. Listen, we know Jesus loves us, but I want to tell you something. Jesus likes you. You laugh because you don't believe that. I don't believe that. I'm praying through this this week. I go, yeah, well, Jesus likes me. He's cool with me. When I do enough, when I go, when I I put enough streaks together, how many weeks did I go to church in a row? No, no, Jesus likes you. He loves to be with you. Jesus, when everybody else is running the opposite directions, repulsed, he moves near to you. His heart moves with compassion. He is the perfect radiation of the Father of mercies. Jesus loves you. He likes you. He wants to be with you. But I'm dysfunctional. He knows. He knows you better than you ever wished. But he loves you more than you could have ever hoped. And Paul says, Jesus loves you, and my feelings for you are so strong that when I see Jesus' love for you, it makes me want to say, me too. Me too. Church, Jesus loves you. Jesus likes you. Me too. I do, me too. And here's my prayer, and here's what I'm inviting you to pray, that we would be a church that is filled with this supernatural affection for one another. That we would be a church where in our community groups and in our friendships and in our circles, that we would not just be polite. There's enough polite people in the world. Yeah. Courteous people. That we would be more than polite. We would be more than courteous. We would be filled with a longing to be with each other. 
I'm talking a lot about my childhood today. I remember as a little kid, my sisters and I, the sermon would be done, and we'd look at our watches, and we'd go, let's bet how long mom and dad are going to talk, huh? Mom, come on. Mom, we got to go. Mom. Because I was like, why are we talking to these people? I want my parents, the beautiful heritage that they left me, they helped me understand these are not just people. This is our church family. And we look forward to seeing them every Sunday. Like my pastor had to give like the, okay, flicker the lights, you know what I mean? Like boof, because we longed to be with each other. That's what I'm praying, friends. I'm praying that East Point Church would be a place of love and affection, so much so that when I see how much you love me, it reminds me, it mirrors, oh yeah, because Jesus likes me too. That preacher is so naive, huh? Oh, he's cute. So optimistic. He'll grow up. He'll know what it's like in the church world. He'll know how it really is. Oh, that's nice. No, no, no. Stop it. It is right for me to feel this way. It is appropriate. It is good. This is how things should work at this table. This is table manners. This is the etiquette. This is how those sitting around the table should be treating each other. They are dripping with affection. They are radiating warmth. They are interacting in love. This is how we do at the table. This is how Jesus does at the table. If I can summarize table manners in one sentence, it would be this. Those in the family of Christ share the love of Christ. Those in the family of Christ share the love of Christ. There are some of you here who you've, you've followed Jesus and you've been a part of church and you have not experienced the love of Christ. I want to apologize. Not because I did it, because I'm just sorry. I'm sorry if you've experienced interactions with Christians that were less loving than Jesus himself, as if they weren't Jesus. Right? I'm sorry. But don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, please. Be loving yourself. Come back in. Be loving. Help change the culture. Help change the tenor and the warmth. I'm really sorry if you haven't experienced that. Don't give up because Jesus hasn't given up. That's his bride. He's still working, okay? He's still working. There are relationships here, friends, at this table that transcend hobbies. They transcend our shared interests. These are relationships that are centered and built on the very thing that you prioritize and I prioritize. The most important thing about your life is also the most important thing about my life. And that bounds us together, that binds us together in a relationship that transcends time and space. There are people at this table who are actively prioritizing their passion to grow in faith and reach the world. He's the reason we're together. And so there's affection and there's love here, friends. Those in the family of Christ share the love of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you teach us your plan, what you're doing, you're saving us, and you're bringing us into this family, God. So thank you for teaching us this. Thank you for reminding us, Lord, I pray that you would transform us into this image. Make us a loving church, God. Make us a place where relationships are formed, meaningful, genuine relationships that mirror the love of Jesus. We pray that this kind of community would be tantalizing to the greater community. 
that these kind of relationships would be, they would have a smell, there would be an aroma that people walking blocks and blocks away, they'd go, somebody is cooking up something good and they are drawn near. And when they get here, they think, yeah, I need friends. And they go, no, 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 I need Jesus because that's actually his love that I'm smelling. That's actually his love that I'm craving and built for. Do this, Lord. Build your church, Father. Glorify your son. It's in him that we proclaim, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Amen. Friends, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat at a table. He sat at a table and he held up the bread and he broke it. And he said, in the same way, I'm going to have my body broken for you. And then he held up the cup and he poured it out and he sloshed it and he said, just as this wine is poured out, my blood is about to be poured out for you. He sat at a table and then using visual aids, he told them just how far he was about to go in love to bring them to his table. He demonstrated with the emblems just the great lengths that his love would move him so that you and I could come and participate in the family of God. And then his disciples, right, they told us in their writings, they said, they passed on what Jesus said. He says, often as you get together, come to the table and do this in remembrance of me. Why do we come to a table every month? To remember what Jesus did to bring us into the table. And so as we're about to participate in this family meal, I want to ask you a couple of questions, okay? Number one, do you have this kind of table community yet? Do you? Answer honestly. Are you experiencing life, real relationships with other people at this table? Or are you still, you know, polite yet distant? Come partake, friends. Come. And as you come, I'm going to give you a couple of homework assignments. Number one, pray. Ask God, God, bring me more than friends. Bring me partners. Bring me partakers. Bring me table mates. Please, God. God loves to answer that prayer. Pray. And as you pray, I want to remind you, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? What we water will grow. What we invest in with our time and our energy and our emotion, those relationships will blossom. I know people who have said, man, this church was unfriendly. I couldn't go there anymore. Well, did you join like a community group to meet people? Yeah, but I never went for more than two weeks because they were just unfriendly. Two weeks? At 60 minutes a week, friends, I brushed my teeth more in those two weeks than you went to community group, right? We got to try. We have to invest. Come on, don't give up. Don't give up. Be friendly. Be friendly. Pray. Ask God to bring you into that kind of community. And then the second question I have for you is this, because I know in a room of this size, there are people in all different steps of their journey, right? And some of you guys are here, and maybe you grew up in church, or maybe you've known about Jesus from a distance, but you're here at East Point because you're just trying to understand what is it that they're about? Like, what, what is this whole Jesus thing? What is the gospel? And that's okay, right? You're, you're maybe not at the table yet. But here's my question for you. What are you waiting for? You were made for this table. God, the creator, the personal relator who's in heaven, he made you to be in the family. He made you so that you could know him and be known by him. This is more than just a cool, if I get that in my life, this is what you were made for. 
And so stop trying to direct your own life. Stop trying to be your own table leader. Come to Jesus, the maker of your soul. Come to him, friends. Come to him and say, Jesus, please save me, and he will make room at the table for you. But my hands are dirty and my feet are messy and I'm not cleaned up yet for the table. No, 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 stop it. Jesus did everything you need to do for you to come to the table. And then you come with your mess and we'll work on it together, okay? That's what the table is about. And so the Bible says that if we come to God in faith, that he saves us. Well, I got to say the magic. No, 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 you come in faith. You, You come and you believe. Jesus, I believe that you are who you said you are. And I believe you can do what you said you can do. I believe you can bring me to the table and that you love me. I dare to believe that you love me. If you believe that with all your heart, he'll save you. And so we're having a family meal, right? This is a meal for Christians. If you're here this morning and you say, man, I I want to respond. I want to become a Christian. I want to be brought to the table. Then I'm going to invite you to partake with us. And maybe even for the first time in your life, you are taking this family meal as a member of the family. You're holding the body of Jesus. You're holding the blood of Jesus. And you realize he did this for me. And we partake together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these emblems. We do this respectfully, Lord. We do this whole, in a holy manner because we remember that you have saved us. So be with my brothers and sisters here, Lord, who are new in their faith. As they are putting their faith in Jesus, as they're saying, God, I want to belong at the table. I want to know your love. Save them right now, Holy Spirit. Turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. Forgive them their sins. Wash them clean. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Fill them with new desires. And bring them to the table, Lord. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.